I couldn't be this perfect person that I thought my mom, my dad, and the church had tried to teach me to be. I just started feeling this really heavy sadness, and I didn't really know what it was. I did not think anybody cared. I felt like something was missing in my life, that God-sized hole in my heart. I tried to fill that with relationships. I literally said, God, I don't trust these circumstances, but I trust you. He had always been present for me in my life, always. I realized that God allowed me to go through that because I have a story to tell. It's a privilege to be able to share this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then, a woman of the village, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfume. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who is falling all over him. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, and so the banker canceled both debts Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. That's right, said Jesus. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, Do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, She hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Then he spoke to her, I forgive your sins. That set the dinner guests talking behind his back. Who does he think he is, forgiving sins? He ignored them and said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So there you have it. That's my story. I've heard it a thousand times. It never gets any easier to listen to, and I know uh, what you must think of me. Let me begin by asking How many of you have heard that story before? Before Teresa just read it, you've heard that story. So you know my name, Simon, the Pharisee, right? And I know, and you can be honest about this, you've already prejudged me. You already think I'm a bad guy. But but for what it's worth, no one's ever invited me to share my side of that story. So I'm grateful to you 
for this opportunity. And one of the things I'd like to accomplish today is I'd like to see if you could just put yourself in my shoes for just a minute. Try to see the events of that day as I saw them. Because to me, they looked a little bit different than the story Teresa just read. I don't dispute the facts, don't get me wrong. And I mean no disrespect to Jesus, who I know is your Lord and Master. I'm just telling you the story looked different to me that day. So for you to understand the story from my perspective, I need you to know a little bit about me, other than the fact that I'm this boogeyman, Simon the Pharisee. Okay? If you had asked me the morning of that dinner party <clears throat> to tell you about myself, I would, this is what I would have said. I would have said, I am the luckiest man I have ever known. That's how I felt. I never felt like I was a self-righteous, judgmental elitist. I know that's how I come off in the story. I never thought of myself that way. I just thought of myself as lucky, if I'm being honest. I was lucky from before I was born. I was born into a God-fearing family. My parents had both been born into God-fearing families. All of my grandparents and great-grandparents and ancestors going back too many generations to remember had all been born with the fear and knowledge of the one true God. My earliest memories before I learned to read are on my mother's knee as she read from the holy books. My father would come to wake me each morning at sunrise I exaggerate none of this. This is exactly as it happened in my childhood. My father would come and gently waken me from my slumber as the sun came up through the windows and summon me to our family kitchen where my mother was preparing breakfast for me and my brother and sister. I know that sounds hopelessly old-fashioned, but there it is. I'm an old guy, and that's the way it happened. She did. And then we would sit around the table and catch hands together. And we would start off every day thanking God for all that he had given to us. And my father would read from the book of ancient promises that had sustained our family for so many generations. And all my life from the time I was a little boy, I lived in the fear of God and the love of his law. Oh, and listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was perfect. I never felt like I was perfect. I never claimed to be perfect. What I am telling you is this. With God as my witness, every single day I strived to live up to the highest standards of my calling as a child of God. It was my heritage and it was to be my legacy. In my youth, as many of my peers misspent their their youth in pursuit of wine, women, and song. I, while not being perfect, was a disciplined young man. I stayed focused. I believed that I was required to live in obedience to the law of God, and I strived to do it in every way possible. When I was still a very young man, really little more than a boy, I took a wife. I was faithful to her, have been faithful to her all my life, the only woman I've ever known. Together we raised four children, each one of them, I raised teaching them to love the law of God as I love the law of God. I have lived long enough to see each one embrace God's law as their own. And they continue the legacy of our people in service to the one true and living God. None of this is bragging. Do you understand, Sammy? None of this is bragging. I am telling you my life as I have lived it, and I am the most grateful person in the world for the blessing that God's law has been to me. Though I have failed it many times, 
It has sustained me. It has lifted me up. And it has always set my feet upon the path of righteousness again and again. And for that, I am grateful. You say Simon the Pharisee as if it were an epithet from your lips. Let me tell you something. For me, it was the achievement of a lifetime. I worked all my life to be known as a man of God and as a man of the Bible. And I achieved a certain amount of respect in my town, from my communities, uh, from my community and from my neighbors because of the disciplined way in which I always sought to live a life of obedience. That's who I am. Not better than you, not worse than you. But that is my life. I have lived it out in the light of God's truth and grace. And I do not apologize. Do you understand who I am? Okay? Now let me talk to you about the girl, the woman. Um, So you ask me here, may I have your permission to speak frankly? May I speak with candor? You ready? She was garbage. I'm sorry. She was human garbage. She had lived her whole life in profligate, willful rebellion to the laws of God. She laughed in the face of God's law, and she paid the price. There was no men in her life to speak of, no father, never had been. She, there were men that she slept with, maybe even married one or two of them, I don't know. She had kids, but none of these men that produced the kids ever stuck around long enough to help her raise them. She never did any meaningful work that I could tell. Her life, since the time of her girlhood, had been dedicated solely to the purpose of satisfying the lusts of her flesh. And she was a ruined wreck of a human being. You still with me? Am I being too harsh? Or am I telling it like it is? (laughs) I'm going to tell you something right now. And I want you to suspend your disbelief just long enough to consider this possibility. If you had been at my dinner party that day, can you see it? Whose side would you have been on? I was the good guy in that story until Jesus spoke up. Do you get that? I invited Jesus to my home. To my home. And through a dinner party, I arranged the food, the guest list. I had everything set. Jesus was coming to my town, and I wanted to show him respect. I knew that he was a holy man. Some claimed that he was a a true prophet, the first in hundreds of years. They say he had the power of God in his hands. They say he could heal the sick. Some said he raised the dead. Well, I wanted to meet this fellow. So when I heard he was coming through my town, I made all the arrangements. Sent out the guest list to all the finest people in town. Spent the money, catered the food. Everything was ready. I invited Jesus into my home. And Jesus, I wish you could have known him in person. When he spoke, he spoke with authority like no one else ever before 
or sense. He spoke not as if he were conjecturing, not as if he were hoping he was right about God. No, he spoke with the authority of one who knew for certain. I had never seen it. People were so drawn to him. He could light up a room with his face. He was fun to be around. He was the life of the party. And the party was going very well, I might add. Everyone was having fun, uh, getting to know Jesus. It was a, a great time. And then she came into my house without an invitation, without asking permission. She walked into my home. And she began to fall all over Jesus in a way that I found unseemly. But you'll, you'll notice, even in the story that Teresa read to you, if you listen to it very carefully, did you notice I made no move to stop her? Did you notice that part? I didn't stop her. I didn't say get out of my house. I didn't have anybody try to remove her. I didn't say she was doing anything inappropriate. I did not say one word. The story says what I was thinking. Fair enough. That is what I was thinking. I was thinking she doesn't belong here, and if he's a true prophet, he ought to know better. But I didn't say it. That should count for something, right? But Jesus, this went on for an uncomfortably long time. And then Jesus broke the silence, and he said, he was looking at her when he said this, but he was speaking to me. He called my name, and he said, Simon, there's something I need to say to you. And then he looked right at me. And it was one of those moments. Do you ever have anybody say to you, now, there's something I need to tell you? What do you do when somebody says that? You brace yourself a little bit? Uh Uh-oh. What's coming, right? What if your boss sent you an email saying, I have to talk to you about something, right? You're like, oh, no. Your wife calls and says, we need to talk, leaves a message, we need to talk. You know this is something important. That's the, that's the moment we were in. Jesus said, Simon, there's something I need to say to you. I said, Rabbi, if it's on your mind, let's hear it. And then he told the story you heard. But he was, he was a little slower in the telling than the gospel writer records it. He said, he said, Simon, let me tell you a story. And now he's looking at me. He says, there were two people who owed a debt. He paused. Do you understand? I think so, Rabbi. No, I need you to listen carefully because I don't think you get it yet. Then he looked down at the girl And he looked back at me and he said, there were two people who owed a debt. I said, I think I understand. He said, one of them, looking back down at the girl, one of these people owed a debt that they would never realistically be able to repay. So great was this debt that it threatened to destroy her. She simply couldn't carry it anymore. But the other one, and then he looked at me, the other one saw his debt, but he thought of it as manageable. 
he felt that perhaps, given enough time, he could handle and pay for his own debt. Do you understand what I'm saying to you, Simon? Yes, teacher. Yes, I think I do. If the banker, who was owed both debts, forgave them both, he's looking right into my eyes. If the banker, who was owed the debts, Simon, forgave them both, who do you suppose would be more grateful? And he looked back down at the girl. The answer was obvious, so I gave him the required answer, not fully understanding exactly what I was saying at the time, though later on I would come to understand it. And then he reached down and he touched the girl's cheek and he raised up her eyes, looked her right in the eyes, and he said, Simon, do you see this girl? And I really looked at her for the first time. When she walked into the room, all I saw was a stereotype. She was, of all the women in my town, I'm telling you, there was none who was more well-known for her wickedness. Teresa, in the text she read, called her the town harlot. And as crazy as this may sound to you, that that was being kind. All I saw was the stereotype. All I saw was her sin. But Jesus looked at her in a completely different way. And that caused me to see something different as well. For the first time, I saw her as a person, a child of God. And Jesus said, I know what you think of this girl, Simon. But do you know that she is beautiful to me? Her faith, your faith, daughter, has saved you from all your sin. And I forgive you of all your sin. Now go in peace. The room fell deadly silent. The silent that exceeds all silence. And Jesus turned his eyes back to me. He said, Simon, there were two people who owed a debt. What if the banker who was owed the debt forgave them both? And then he winked at me. And that was it. Now you may ask how it is that I came. I didn't convert that day. In fact, in that moment, if I'm being honest, I was embarrassed and I was mad. He had reproved me in front of my guests. He turned me, made me the bad guy. And I promise you, right up until that moment, I was the good guy. And he made me the bad guy. For all time, I'm Simon the Pharisee. So, I, so in that moment, I wanted nothing more than to grab this so-called prophet by the throat and throw him right out the door. That's what I wanted to do. Speak to me that way. Who do you think you are? You know what changed my mind? You might think the resurrection, and that would be an obvious guess. But if I'm being honest... When, I, when my wife told me of the rumors that Jesus had risen from the dead, I laughed out loud. <laughs> I really did. I, you know what I said? I said, of course he did. <laughs> it didn't surprise me at all. It didn't really, I mean, by the time the news got to me, several hundred people had already seen it. it, it 
We all knew Jesus had risen from the dead. It was a fact. That's why so many thousands of us converted in the immediate aftermath of his resurrection. But it was, I had already been converted before the resurrection because I was there for the Passover and I watched him die. You know, I love the name of this church that you have here, Calvary. Do you know what the word Calvary means? Raise your hand if you know what the word Calvary means. I mean, raise your hand. I want to see how many people in this room know what the word Calvary, what that is. Keep it up. I want to see. That's a, that's a shockingly small percentage of you to me. So I want you to listen very carefully. The next time somebody asks you that, I want you to raise your hand high and say, I know what Calvary is. Calvary is a place on the earth. It's a physical location. Just outside downtown Jerusalem. It's still there to this day. It's the place where Jesus died. That's Calvary. Now, you, now, raise your hand if you know what Calvary means. Good. It's the one place on earth where God revealed the majesty of His glory once and for all time to all people. And I was there at the feet of Jesus. It was at the cross that I understood what He meant. What if the banker forgave both debts? What if we're free? What if the promises are true? I'm almost done, but I want to speak to two very specific groups of people before I leave you. One is, there may be some in this room, there probably are in a group this size, a few of you, that identify with the girl in my story. I won't ask you to raise your hands. But you have pursued a life of selfishness and you have paid the price. You have suffered greatly and it is just that you have suffered because your sins are terrible. You sit now in the wreckage of a ruined life and it is no one's fault but yours. And you wonder, is my debt too great to be forgiven? The other group I want to speak to are the strivers. People like me. Your type A's, you know, your, your reds, your lions, your... What is that in an Enneagram? Is that a type 3 or... 3, type 3, thank you. And you know who you are. <laughs> it's, you've always got to try to be the best. And I want to say this to you. Good for you. Keep doing that. There's nothing wrong with striving and trying to do good but can I tell you something and I need you to listen very carefully I learned this lesson the hard way I had to be reproved to my face by Jesus to learn it you'll never be good enough you will never quiet the voice in your head that's telling you it's not enough that voice will be with you until the day you die you know why because despite your best efforts Pharisee, you owe a debt that you cannot pay. And there is only one place to find freedom, and it is at Calvary, at the feet of Jesus. And if you will find that peace that comes from nowhere else, and I promise you, listen, if that girl were here today, 
she would be standing right beside me and she'd be saying, me too. Me too, I agree with that. And I say to you, she and I are the same. Me too. We need forgiveness that can only be found at the feet of Jesus. And if you need that peace, my friend, whether you're the girl or the Pharisee, stand with us and just say those two words. Me too. Me too. Wow. What a uh, morning. Kyle said it was going to be different, and it certainly was. I just say this before uh, we pray and leave. Can't change one second before you walked in the room, but life certainly can be different as you walk out and internalize some of the truths that you just heard. Would you just join me in prayer just for a moment? Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for uh, this morning. And God, I know that uh, certainly there are people who fall into these uh, two camps. Uh, One, just fully acknowledging uh, that our debt is so great we can never repay, and some of us who are trying to pay off that debt or think that it's manageable. But, Lord, there there are another two groups of people here, those that have experienced the forgiveness of Christ and who depend on him daily for how they will live and those that are on the outside looking in. And so, God, for uh, those of us that are in this room, those that are watching online, uh, Father, I pray uh, that, that each person here would have an experience of your grace. Lord, that there would be a moment that we have put our faith and our trust in you. And we've acknowledged the fact that there is a debt that we could not repay and that forgiveness of that debt is fully available through the work of Jesus on the cross. And so, God, I pray, uh, Lord, uh, Lord, that we would embrace that truth in our own lives, that it would be personal to us. Father, thank you for uh, this uh, message this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the songs that we sang that remind us that we have a Redeemer and that we cannot redeem ourselves, but it's only through a relationship with Jesus that our right relationship with you can be fully restored. And Lord, in these moments, I pray, God, that you would dismiss us in your love, in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. As Kyle said earlier, uh, Pastor Dave and I would love to meet you at our Next Steps area if this is your first time. And then we'll have some uh, pastors uh, down front if you just need somebody to pray with you. God bless you as you go.